It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things, things I think you need to know about to discuss at the water cooler, at the gym, at the office, at lunch with your spouse and significant other. Big thing number one, and it is all the talk. It has been the discussion since Saturday. Everybody knows the drill right now. What happened is you had a white supremacist rally. If in all places, Charlottesville, Virginia, yesterday during the 9 o'clock hour, we had a call from a woman named Jennifer who was a transplanted Milwaukeean who had been living in Charlottesville for the last couple of years. Charlottesville is a, a small college town. I mean, it, it's, I guess I'm not sure how exactly small it is, but it's a college town that would be classic sort of antebellum south it's where the university of virginia is um and it's like narrow streets it's one of kind of those old historic places that you find you know throughout virginia um there has been there's a statue of robert e lee that sits in the public square and the interesting thing is among people of charlottesville this statue is not particularly controversial. You have a handful of people who have been trying to, and just a handful, who have been trying to say you should take the statue down. But it's not something that's really been on a lot of radar screens among people who live in Charlottesville. Well, all right, you have these white supremacist groups who decided for reasons that kind of pass understanding, that they wanted to choose this particular statue in this particular town to stage this, this massive rally, um, a white supremacist rally, you know, don't do away with our heritage, that type of stuff. And so you had people from all over the country that descended on Charlottesville. And by the way, it's not that easy to get to Charlottesville to rally in support of this statue. In response, you had a number of people who, again, came in from outside the area. And not everybody was from outside the area. The woman who ended up getting killed, unfortunately, she was she was a local. But, but people came from outside the area to counter-protest. So what happened is, and this is sort of predictable, during the course of the day, you had a whole series of violent confrontations between... Some of the white supremacist folks who were protesting to keep the statue and some of the people who were protesting the white supremacist folks. And there, there were altercations that apparently were going on all, all day. Um, the police are getting some criticism for not doing, not having enough of police presence, not doing enough to break up the, the fights. But it was a very, very volatile situation caused in general by outside agitators. I think a lot of people in Charlottesville, when we had the woman call from the woman yesterday, she was saying, you know, we, they'd been told in Charlottesville, just, just stay away. Businesses were closing. Just stay away from this because I think everybody knew that there was going to be trouble. Predictably, there was trouble. Some crazy 20-year-old from Ohio drives to Charlottesville and drives his car into a crowd of the anti-white supremacist protesters, kills a woman, injures 19 others. All right. And so then you have, again, this story, which has gone international. At the time of the incident... There was what I describe as the, the fog of war. I mean, a lot of times when something happens immediately, you don't know all the details. And I think it's one of the most difficult things in the news media to resist the urge to, 
you know, run with unconfirmed stories or things like that, because a lot of times that tends to be wrong. And I'll tell you, that's one of the most difficult things. I mean, I think when I'm on the air during a breaking news story, you always want to there's initial reports and a lot of times they turn out to be wrong. Well, it now, again, turns out that the person who was driving this vehicle was this 20-year-old nut job who apparently has this this history of being – he's 20 years old, neo-Nazi, has a history of – there's apparently 911 calls saying he beat his mother. This kid is is a psycho loser, and he drives halfway across the country and then drives into this crowd. All right? That wasn't known in the immediate aftermath. That came out later. In any event, Saturday afternoon after this happens – The president makes remarks where he condemns hate and bigotry. He does not specifically say, I'm condemning white supremacists or I'm condemning the Ku Klux Klan. He comes out and he condemns, you know, bigotry and hatred that leads to violence. All right. That's that's what he ends up saying. There is then a firestorm that erupts on Saturday evening and during the day Sunday uh, oh, that this president is insensitive to this. Uh, you know, he didn't call out white supremacists. He just condemned hate and bigotry, you know, in general. number of the president's aides do the Sunday morning shows where they say, well, of course he's talking about that. You know, he's talking about hate and bigotry of all forms. Yesterday morning, about 1130, President Trump has a specific news conference where he announces, you know, some trade deal. And then he goes on to specifically and in detail condemn hate and violence and bigotry. He calls out white supremacists. He calls out the Ku Klux Klan, and then he leaves. Predictably, I, I think, this this has not satisfied the Trump critics. And I'm looking at one story after another. Local paper, one of the editorial writers, Charlottesville, Trump and a failure to lead. Um, the, again, the, the criticism that, well, he wasn't strong enough early enough. It's one story after another. USA Today, the darkness of hate and terror. Trump had to be begged to name his culprits. If he can't or won't be a leader, he should resign. The whole premise being his failure to apparently. Now, remember, Barack Obama, for for years, refused to condemn Islamic terrorism. He just never used those phrases or almost never used those phrases. All right, in this particular case, Donald Trump immediately comes out. He condemns hate. He condemns bigotry. He denounces the violence. He initially didn't mention the Ku Klux Klan. He initially did not mention the white supremacist groups. He just talked in general terms. Yesterday, he goes into more specifics. All right. Too little, too late. That is my question. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Is this... Is the president's handling of the incident that happened in Charlottesville, is this evidence of a failure to lead? Did he have to be begged to name the culprits? Is this a reason for him to resign? Or is this just the Trump haters trying to find, well, something else to hate on Donald Trump for? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 843. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Here's, here's what the Journal Sentinel writes, a portion of their editorial. Charlottesville Trump and a failure to lead. 
And yet in a tweet on Saturday about Charlottesville, President Trump condemned the violence without calling out the white nationalists who were the cause. And in remarks a few hours later, he called for an end to violence on many sides, seeming to draw a moral equivalence between the white nationalists and peaceful counter-protesters. Well, wait a second. You can't have your own facts. I mean, many of the counter-protesters were, in fact, peaceful. But even if you read accounts like in the New York Times, reporters that were there, they will also tell you that some of the counter-protesters, some of the counter-protesters came there looking for trouble. There were fights breaking out all day. And so what the president was doing in his remarks was calling out violence on all sides. Now, I understand it wasn't one of the counter-protesters that got in a car and drove into the, the crowd of protesters. But this idea that, well, okay, there, there weren't confrontations. President Trump on Saturday was talking about the violence on all sides. And there was violence on all sides. Now, admittedly, you didn't have a counter-protester that, that killed people, by killed a person, person by getting into a car. But... He, I think, is saying, hey, we need to calm down. We need to have more understanding. I don't see it as making a moral equivalency at all. And to the extent that anybody didn't think his remarks were sufficient enough, it's very clear that yesterday, I mean, yesterday he started naming every sort of group. I have to tell you, I sincerely think that this is one of these situations where you have the anti-Trump folks who decide that they are going to be looking for something that they can be upset about. A failure to lead? Really? Here's Greg and Jackson who texts. I have to be honest with you. I'm just so annoyed with the rhetoric. When I saw what had occurred and I heard the remarks of the president initially, I thought they were on point. After a couple of days, I heard his remarks further condemning white hate groups. I was again satisfied with his leadership. The media is going to destroy this country by continuing this attack on Trump. The media's actions are gal- galvanizing race wars and are destructive to the fabric of the United States. What's well, not just the, the media. It is many people. Now, could the president... In his initial remarks, if he had mentioned the Ku Klux Klan and mentioned the white supremacists, would that really have made this issue go away? I'm not sure. 414-799-1620. But all this outrage, oh, he didn't condemn this enough. Well, really? Let's talk to uh, Jim in McGuanago. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Uh, You know, I don't think it's a lack of leadership, but I do think that it's politically incorrect to suggest that people other than white people can be racist and bigoted. Uh, Mm -hmm. And therein is the way he offended people. Yeah. Well, I I think, you know, to to an extent, I mean, obviously, the, the kid... The crazy psycho kid that drove into the crowd was a white supremacist who had been on people's radar screens for a, a while. But, you know, you, you had a lot of hatred going on in in Charlottesville, you know, that day. And the president denounced all of it um, in broader terms. Could he have been more specific? Well, well, yes. But, I mean, you're right. There, there's people on the other side that that hate as well. Yes, there is. No, I mean, thanks. I mean, I guess that's, and I guess that that's what the kind of frustrating thing is about this. And again, many of the people that are condemning President Trump because he didn't specifically mention white supremacists in his initial remarks, they're the same people who were saying, "Well, what's the big deal that Barack Obama didn't, you know, mention, you know, Islamic terrorists?" And and, and the truth of the matter is, I always thought that that was a strange thing that President Obama did, his refusal to do it, but I always thought that was kind of overblown as well. And keep in mind also, 
Uh, President Trump's initial remarks condemning hate on bigotry on all sides comes, you know, before the details of what exactly happened emerged. And I guess, again, I just I just keep looking at this thinking, OK, is, is there anything this guy can do? And I I hear from both sides. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know, I I criticize President Trump a lot. And I hear from people saying, oh, you should be on MSNBC. Why are you doing that? And, you know, when he's getting unfair criticism, I call that out as well. And candidly, I just I understand that there are Trump haters out there. I get it. But at the same time, I don't think those people are helping anything when they take what really I think are non-issues. Gee, he didn't condemn hate fast enough and try to, again, make that the cause celeb of the day. Let's talk to Jerry in Germantown. Jerry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Good talking to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, I had a couple. I got a couple points. Uh, one is I have never in my entire life seen one president attacked so much by the media. And when he did come out and make his remarks condemning the violence, that was fine. And that's what it should have been left at. Now, like you said, Barack Obama wasn't attacked or nothing for not responding right away to all the violence that was happening. When we had all the riots and all the buildings being burnt down, it took him a day. He was out of But you didn't hear no attacks on that. Correct? Well, right. He, I mean, right. And then when he did, like, for example, Ferguson, he decided to to pick sides. And some of the things he said were just were, were just wrong, you know, but but he he picked a particular side. I, I think I mean, Trump is saying, hey, I'm condemning violence. We need to get past this racial hatred wherever it is coming from. And the racial hatred is is just more on the against the rebel flag, the South, but what about all of these so-called great American heroes that murdered, raped, pillaged during the Civil War to have monuments? Why aren't they being taken down? Well, actually, I'm going to talk about monuments a a, a little bit later on, but I I guess, and again, I'm I'm reading some of these stories. Well, it it, it was all these these peaceful counter-protesters. Many of them were. But here's the truth. There were problems. There were fights. There were altercations that were breaking out that entire day. That's why the police down in Charlottesville are getting so much criticism for not doing enough to keep the group separate or not. There was a lot of hate going on there. And that is not condoning the white supremacists. It's not condoning the Nazis. It's certainly not con- condoning, you know, this 20-year-old, you know, psycho idiot who decides to drive into a crowd of people. But, but there... This, this was a volatile situation all along, and that's why I think the president initially you know, just decided, I'm going to issue this statement while we're waiting for the facts to emerge, condemning hate and bigotry on, on all sides. Um, I don't see that as making these a moral equivalent. I see him kind of saying, you know, we, we need to figure out a way to come together. Lyle and Racine. Lyle, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Well, I'm thinking there's nothing he could have possibly said that would have satisfied some of these people. No matter how what, what wording he would have used, they would have found some issue about what he said. And the way I see it also, it's, uh, I was listening to your show yesterday, and some lady called in, and she's like, well, I wish I, she, uh, he would have done more. And this is just a perfect example of it, because then you went and you probed, and you said, well, what could he have done? And not to put her on the spot or call her out, but 
didn't, she didn't know, know what to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and it's like, that's just it. And like these people, don't, they don't even realize that they don't even know what they're looking for. They'll just find an issue with whatever he said. And there's nothing else he could have done wrong. And if, let's say, if, if it was, uh, because because they don't like him going in, there's nothing he could have done or yeah. said that would have satisfied them. You know, I, I think I mean see that, that I I I agree with that. Now look, if if I was crafting the initial statement, um, would could it have been more specific? A- absolutely. So if he would have said, I I condemn you know the hate and the bigotry. We need to come together as a country. I, I'm calling out. You know, um, I'm calling out all those people who hate, including the members of the KKK and the, this white supremacist movement. All right, if if he had added that clause, I'm not sure it would have changed anything. It certainly would have changed the facts of what happened, but I'm not sure it would necessarily change the reaction at, at all. Because, again, there's people out there that have just they've made up their mind about President Trump. And and look, and I I I understand and I, I do get the reaction that he's, you know, very quick to go to Twitter and criticize all sorts of things in the harshest possible terms. And so now the fact that he had a somewhat measured response while the facts are emerging. Now, the same people who are saying, hey, this guy's got this hair trigger. He's got to you know, pull back. He's got to calm down. The fact that he comes out with a more measured response. That's not good enough. I guess, look, we have real problems in this country when it comes to race relations. I understand that. I think any serious person has to understand it. But when we get bogged down in stuff like this, this, well, gee, did he condemn it quickly enough or did he condemn it specifically enough or he didn't mention the Ku Klux Klan specifically in his initial statement, that that is the kind of stuff that takes us away from dealing with the the real underlying issues. And the truth is, you've got these white supremacist groups, you've got these kooks, you know, and, and they're out there and they deserve to be condemned and they deserve to be kind of tried to put in a box. But at the same time, attacking the president, I don't know where that gets us. 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, enough of that. Big thing number two is coming up. Euphemistically called Larry's Fun Fest near Union Grove turns into a gang-related shooting gallery. Some people say this was predictable. We'll talk about what's going on. Stick around. 857, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Big story number two, Larry's Fun Fest. Turns out to be anything but. Um, Larry's Fun Fest is an event that has been going on for a while at the Great Lakes Dragway in right outside of, of Union Grove. Um, what ended up happening at the event is apparently, and, and you know, authorities are still putting together the pieces. But you know, there was there was an execution-style murder, a series of execution-style murders at the event. Um, the theory that's being advanced by the authorities in Kenosha is that um, you had three people who were killed, um, all who were known gang members from essentially Aurora, Illinois. 32-year-old man, two 32-year-old, 30-year-old man, and a 26-year-old. Apparently what happened is you had somebody walk up to them as they were you know, standing at this event, point-blank range, and execute them. 
Um, authorities say they believe this was likely a gang-related shooting. The gunman remains at large. But one of these things where, hey, you had rival gangs. We know there's going to be gang members, so we go up and we, we, we shoot them. Um, and you have the, the murder, which clearly shocked everybody. Um, the Kenosha County Sheriff, Dave Beth, who's a really good guy, you know, he says that um, this, you know, the, the goal of this was to get uh, this whole event is to bring people from, you know, Illinois and Chicago and Milwaukee to come and have fun. Now, this is not apparently the first time that there have been complaints about this incident. Uh, Fox 6 had a very interesting and detailed story, you know, talking about how at least some residents had been complaining about this for the past five years, about attendees weaving down county roads, squealing their their tires, um, things like that. You know, other people say that, you know, hey, they, they live by the drag strip and every year the crowds get more intimidating. It says you know, a lot of uh, gangster looking people, you know, every year it is chaos. That's the way at least some some people are are talking about this particular incident. And again, you know, now you have this situation there. There's some that are saying, well, look, that this isn't the fault of the event. This could happen anywhere. You know, somebody, especially if you're affiliated with gangs, you could be standing in a grocery store parking lot. You know, any this could happen anywhere, and there is an element of, of truth to that. You know, if, if, in fact, this was a gang-related shooting, could have happened anywhere. Could have happened, you know, in a public park. Could have happened in a parking lot at Miller Park or Wrigley Field or whatever. It could have happened anywhere. It just had particular had to happen at this dra- dragway during this particular event. The question, though, and this is big story number two, moving forward, where do you go from here? This is an event that brings in more than 15,000 people to uh, the town of Paris, which is where the dragway is, near Union Grove. And I think the question now becomes, moving forward, you know, what, what do you do? I mean, do you cancel the event because there was this execution-style slaying, presumably, of a bunch of gangbangers? Or do you do nothing? Or how do you handle it? Here's what I think needs to happen moving forward. If this event is going to continue to be staged, number one, you need to have a lot more security than they apparently had. I'm talking about an enhanced police presence. I'm talking about private security guards. People need to be safe. And if part of the clientele that is being targeted by, you know, this activity, if it is attracting the gangsters and the gangbangers and it is leading to this type of violence, what you need to do is you need to have a huge presence, whether it's security or whether it's police presence, to deter any sort of behavior like this. That's number one. Number two, um, I, I think you have to start looking at added security measures. Now, I've, I have to tell you, I've never been to this location. So, I mean, I don't know if you can set it up with metal detectors and things of the like, but it is kind of scary to me that you could have these gangsters that could walk in. You know, if, if these guys were carrying guns, how many other people are carrying guns that are wandering around there? Do I think they need to cancel the event? No. But before they stage it again, they need to have a lot more security. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Larry's Larry's Fun Fest turns out to be anything but that. I don't think you need to cancel it, but I do think 
if you're going to have it again, it needs to be there needs to be a lot more control of these type of things because it sounds like this was a situation where there weren't enough checks and balances. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you live in that area or have been to this, um, you know, what do they need to do moving forward? I don't think it needs to be canceled, but I think if it's going to be staged again, it needs to be staged with a markedly different approach and a heck of a lot more security. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 914. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine seventeen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. We're talking about the shootings that occurred over the weekend at the uh, down in outside of Union Grove at the Dragway. Um, it's just, and of course the, the Kenosha County Sheriff is saying that th- this is a gang related shooting. Um, it appears the individuals were targeted, presumably by a rival gang. I'm looking at the Journal Sentinel account of this. Some of this stuff is just unbelievable. You got three men that are dead. Um, this is the way they report it: family members of the victims have not been helpful to authorities, the sheriff said. Authorities had difficulty identifying them, and when a man who arrived at the sheriff's department identified himself as a father of one of the victims, he refused to provide his son's birth date and made demands of the department that were denied. The sheriff declined to elaborate on the father's uh, demands. Three victims were known to Aurora, Illinois police officials. Beth said the father of one of the victims is a high-ranking gang member from Illinois, Gang squad, law enforcement members there confirmed the victims were gang members. The sheriff declined to identify the gang. Can you imagine this? I mean, you're, okay, your, your relative has been shot in a gang-related slaying, and you decide you're not going to be helpful with, to authorities. What a world. Jerry in Lisbon. Jerry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I've been going to the drag strip since 1960s. Uh, it's changed over the years. They have been trying so hard to make it a great place for your family. They put a playground up for the children. And this is an isolated incident. They have plenty of security there, always on hand, paramedics. Whatever you need is always there. I mean, it's a great place. Have, have you been at did, – did, 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 um, did you go to this event or just in general you attend the, I have the been, drag strip? I have been to this event. All these years, up this year I had didn't make it because I had other stuff going on. Yeah. But I would have been there if if I wouldn't have had other stuff going on. So I've been to this event in the past, and I'll tell you what, it's a great deal. You know, people with their cars and showing off, and everybody getting along. Mm-hmm. It's an isolated incident. It's just something that could have happened anywhere. It's unfortunate that it happened there. Well, you say it could have happened anywhere. I guess if if at least a portion of the crowd, uh, maybe a small portion, but a portion of the crowd that's attracted there are, you know, gangsters from northern Illinois or from southeastern Wisconsin or whatever, wouldn't it be in the interest of authorities to try to, okay, ma- make sure that at least if these folks are going to come there, they're, they're not carrying guns? Well, how can you tell if someone's carrying a gun? That Metal detectors? Anywhere. It could be at the... Uh, Met- game it could be up well, well no 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 but but i mean i, I mean, no t- 
tell me if I'm wrong. Do you have to go through metal detectors to get into the grounds? You don't, do you? No. Okay. Well, I mean, no, thanks. I mean, that, that's my point. I mean, you you do nowadays at at Lambeau Field, and at Miller Park, and at the Bradley Center. To take your examples, you know, you before you go into the facility. You, you go through a metal detector. I mean, there. Yeah. So I mean, now is that one hundred percent certain that you're going to somebody's not going to be able to smuggle a gun in? I, I guess not. Um, does that mean that before you get to the perimeter, that you know there there couldn't be some incident, you know, out in some parking lot or something? No, it, it doesn't. But I mean, I guess that's kind of my point. I'm not calling for the thing to be canceled. I, I'm, I'm not. And I appreciate that what they're trying to do is they're trying to strive to make this a family environment. All I know is, the, like for example, the report I see on, on Channel Six, you've got neighbors who are out there saying, "Okay, this this has been this has been a problem for for a while." I don't know that you need to cancel the thing, but you do, I think, need to be proactive, you know, moving forward and. And maybe that means more of a police presence. Maybe it means metal detectors to get into the grounds. I I, I don't know, but I will tell you that. Um, if if the nature of the event is going to be, for example, attracting gang members from Aurora, Illinois, um, then what you need to do is, all right, may, maybe you need to recognize that, you know, we, we, we don't, if we're going to have gang members that are going to be participating in this event as admittedly maybe a small part of the crowd, we don't want fights breaking out. And we don't want um, we don't want you know gangland executions you know going on 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 the grounds. I mean that's that's all I'm saying. You need to be proactive and you need to be you know preventive of this. Doug and McGuanago, Doug, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I want to start out first with there's no way to run people through uh, metal detectors for this because they're bringing their cars in. They're bringing their drag, you know, they want a drag race. They're bringing their motorcycles in. And it's just too, you know, you got your toolboxes and, and all that stuff coming in, especially a car show. Where you're going to have to take each car and search for weapons. It's just not practical. Either they're going to have to figure out how to discourage the weapons or it's going to not have to happen. Okay. Um, and two, if you do a little YouTube or Googling of this, uh, You'll get some videos that will, if you watch a few of those videos, then you're not too surprised that this happened. Uh, so, I mean, some uh, of the neighbors that are complaining about this are saying, they, there's some validity to what they're saying, huh? Uh, absolutely. I mean, but let's face it, that is an extremely, we have to speak in code here, but that is an extremely white area, and these young African Americans are going to intimidate them and scare them. Um, so that could be, you know, the, when you talk about people in gang clothing, well, you know, what, what would you know from gang clothing? But, uh, you know, if you watch the videos, there's lots of harsh language. There's the inert word used every tenth word, almost mm-hmm. like and and the. And so what do you I think just, it needs to happen moving forward? I mean, how, how obviously you can't put on events where, I mean, I understand some people might say, okay, this was just an isolated incident. We don't need to do anything. It was just a freak sort of occurrence. It could occur at a shopping mall. Um, you've got that. Doesn't. Right, it but it doesn't, doesn't, yeah. It doesn't. When you when you put on an event that that wants to attract young African Americans, I'm not going to say every time, but a disproportionate amount of the time, there seems to be trouble. It's like when they have a a, a hip hop night at the Skateland. 
Well, they had to do away with that. They had another bar out in Sussex where they had tried the you know, they had a hip hop night, so people would come out from Milwaukee and then they had shootings. So they had to do away with it. I, I don't know what the answer is, but uh, you know, either they tolerate you know occasionally some violence, or they're just going to have to do away with it because there's no way. It's not like Summerfest or State Fair where you can walk through a metal detector where you're just taking your body through. I mean, you're going in there with your car and your right. picnic and your tailgating. It'd be like trying. It would be like trying to prevent people from carrying weapons into the parking lot of At, um, Miller Park. Well, I, right again. And when you, I mean, you could you could do it, but it becomes a lot more more difficult. I, I guess I, I just, it's, it's a frustrating thing. They had fifteen thousand people there, and the, the truth of the matter is, whatever incidents they had, that it, it was that this is a a small. You know, an extremely small subsection. Having said that, though, it, it does. I, I mean, I, I think you just can't ignore the type of thing. Maybe the answer is increased security. Maybe the answer is, you know, an, an incle- increased police presence. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's a ban on. I mean, a lot of bars and restaurants say, okay, no gang colors or things like that. I don't know what these guys were wearing. I mean, I appreciate how difficult this is. You don't want to see a wonderful event. Like I said, there's fifteen thousand people there, and my guess is fourteen thousand nine hundred and pl- whatever were there to have fun and enjoy the type of thing. But at the same time, you can't allow this to happen moving forward. I don't think they need to cancel the event. I do think they need to come up with a plan, working perhaps in conjunction with local law enforcement and the county sheriff down there, to make sure that they are going to deter people, however you're going to do it, from bringing firearms onto the grounds. I think that's a reasonable position. 926, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number three is coming up. And... I watched people almost die this morning. How long is it going to take before authorities do something? I've got an idea. Stick around. It's 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. He's been called Canada's greatest songwriter of all time and has provided some of the most iconic songs since the 1960s. Now Gordon Lightfoot is coming to Milwaukee, and we're sending you. Keep listening to my program sometime today. You will have a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot at the Paps Theater. He will be here Sunday, September 17th. One of my favorite performers, Jimmy Buffett, says that Gordon Lightfoot was his inspiration. Uh, Bob Dylan says his inspiration was Woody Guthrie. Buffett says it's Gordon Lightfoot. You can see Gordon Lightfoot Sunday, September 17th. All right. Um, the the horrible incident in Charlottesville on Saturday centered uh, – there, there were larger issues. But what got it started, as I was saying earlier, there's been a statue in the town square of Robert E. Lee that's been there for a long time. You had a handful, and really just a handful, of people in Charlottesville that were agitating to take the statue down. Right. This then became a flashpoint. You had these white supremacists and KKK people from all over the country that decided, for whatever reason, to pick Charlottesville as the rallying cry. Then you had a, a number of counter-protesters that showed up. You had conflicts between the protesters and the counter-protesters, and ultimately you had this incredible tragedy that occurred on Saturday. But it was all over this particular statue. There are, depending on... Nobody knows for sure, but there are probably at least 700 Confederate monuments uh, 
across the country. And some estimates say there's possibly more than 1,000 Confederate monuments in 31 states, in public parks, in courthouse squares, in state capitals, in cemeteries. So there's over, let us say that there's 1,000, all right? Maybe there's a few more, maybe there's a few less. But let's say that there are 1,000. Yesterday, in Durham, North Carolina, about shortly after 7 o'clock last night, in Durham, North Carolina, is where Duke University is. Here's the way the New York Times describes it. Shortly after 7 p.m., the protesters, part of a group of more than 100 that included anti-fascists and members of organizations like the Democratic Socialists of America, the Workers' World Party, and the Industrial Workers of the World, according to the News and Observer of Raleigh. So these would be, I I would say, fairly described as kind of left-wing, outside agitator groups, um, come to Durham, topple a statue of a Confederate soldier that had stood in front of the old Durham County Courthouse for nearly a century above the inscription in memories of the boys who wore the gray. So you've got this statute memorializing people who were in the Civil War who died. It's been there for, you know, going on 100 years. I think 1921 is when they put it up. So you have these groups, about 100 protesters, anti-fascists, whatever that means, members of the organizations like the Democratic Socialists of America, the Workers' World Party, and the Industrial Workers of the World, they show up with the idea that they're going to engage in a little bit of self-help. So what they do is they put a rope around the statue, they pull it over. The figure fell headfirst, still attached to a piece of its pedestal, and the crowd, men and women, black and white, mostly young, erupted in whoops and cheers. Some protesters ran over and began kicking the statue. Others took photos beside it. The Durham Police Department said in a statement <clears throat> that it had made no arrests because the episode had occurred on county property, which is under the jurisdiction of the sheriff's office. Members of the sheriff's office filmed the protest as the statue came down, um, but office they did not respond to a request for comment, and it was not clear whether its officers had made any arrests. So apparently you have a group of, again, protesters associated with a bunch of, I would think it would be fair to say, kind of left-wing extremist groups who show up, they decide to topple the Confederate statue, and for reasons that pass understanding, the cops stand around and watch them and let them do this. But this now raises, I think, the larger question. Like I say, let's say there's a 1,000 Confederate statues standing in courthouses um, across the country. Should they be removed? Should we now, I mean, if if groups like these groups that showed up in Durham last night decide that they want to go out and topple these things and destroy them, and the police apparently stand by and watch this happen, um, is is this now the, the new normal? Can you no longer have, in America in 2017, can you no longer have a Confederate memorial? And if you say, hey, this is part of history, um, are you a white supremacist? Are you a racist? Are you a neo-Nazi? Have we reached the point where a statue which is designed to memorialize, what was the inscription, the boys, well, let's get, me, get the exact subscription, in memory of the boys who wore the gray, in American 2017, is that now unacceptable? Should these statues be taken down by force if necessary, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. 
I think what happened in Durham yesterday was appalling. It is not on the level of what happened in Charlottesville on Saturday where you had the loss of life. But what you had happen is you had a mob of extremists that decided that they were going to go out and they were going to destroy public property. And apparently, at least according to initial reports, they destroyed the public property while the police stood around and watched. That cannot be allowed to be the new normal. If you want to have an ongoing conversation about a particular statue in a particular location, okay, fine, have that conversation. But this violence, the idea that, okay, now we're going to be entitled to start to tear these things down, nuts to that. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. It's big story number three. Can Confederate monuments continue to to stand in in public locations in 2017 in America. It's 942. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 944, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, so yesterday a group of, I'm going to use the phrase anarchists, 100 people including anti-fascists, again, whatever that means, members of organizations like the Democratic Socialists of America, the Workers' World Party, and the Industrial Workers of the World, descended on Durham, North Carolina. There's been a, for going on 100 years, there's been a statue of a Confederate soldier that stood in front of the county courthouse. It had the inscription on it, in memory of the boys who wore the gray. The group pushed over the statue, pulled it over, kicked it, posed with the fact that they had destroyed it. The police apparently stood by for reasons that pass understanding and watched while this was occurring. All right, have we reached a point now where, all right, you know, if you want to go out, if you want to be an anarchist, if you want to take down these statues, fine, go ahead and do it with no consequences. Is there any role at all for, I don't know, statues memorializing, in this case, people from the area who lost their lives during the Civil War. 414-799-1620, Beth texts, the mayor of Lexington, Kentucky, Kentucky, wants a Confederate monument removed because he doesn't want it to define their future. Ridiculous. It doesn't define their future. It defines their past history. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Harry in Eau Claire. Harry, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Well, no, I don't think it should be pulled down. Uh, and I guess my follow-up question to that is, if we're going to be removing, the, say, 1,000 statues uh, all over the country the, from the Confederate Civil War, are we also going to be removing all the Union statues, General Grant, and all the rest of the uh, statues that supported the uh, Union side? Well, I guess the answer, I mean, thanks to the call, Harry, I mean, the, the answer would be no. And the, the difference is the the Confederates, I mean, here, here's the, the the thinking of this. First of all, the, the Confederates, this is the thing, they were traitors. You know, they were trying to secede for the Union. Why would you have a war monument to people who were traitors? That's argument number one. Number two, everybody in the fought in the Civil War were racists because they were defending slavery. So, therefore, you know, it was all about slavery, so they were racists. Why should you, um, again, put up a statue? Why should you memorialize anybody who was who was presumably fighting to uh, again support slavery and i guess my response would be right this this was memorializing local people who lost their life 
in a, a very, very seminal time in this country. Um, again, this particular memorial, it says, in memory of the boys who wore the gray. All right, th- these, are, these were local people who lost their lives in the war between the states. Have we really reached that point? And, and look, it was a misguided, I mean, I think you could argue it was misguided incredibly. It was an incredibly destructive and unfortunate period of time in our history, but it was part of our nation's history. Can you really sanitize this? All right, I have a text from Dan who writes, Why stop with Confederates? Why not include monuments to former slave owners like Andrew Jackson and Thomas Jefferson? Oh, they were Democrats, so they'd be immune to that. Well, actually, no, because, you know, it used to be you would have, for example, Democrats. For Republicans... Um, nowadays, you have Lincoln Day dinners. Um, Democrats used to have their Jackson Jefferson Day dinner. Many in many areas, they've now done away with that because of precisely that. It's this political correctness. Well, don't you realize that Andrew Jackson and Thomas Jefferson, founders of the modern Democratic Party, were in fact slave owners? Well, we we can't acknowledge that. Again, it's this effort to sanitize history that I admit sort of drive more than sort of just drives me absolutely crazy. But beyond that. I mean, look, I think you can have a reasoned debate um, about whether a particular Confederate statue in a particular square or whatever should be removed. And I think a lot of it's going to depend on what's the memorial, what's the purpose, what's the connection to the town, all those different types of things. I think reasonable people can have a debate about that. What I don't think can happen is a bunch of anarchists deciding that they are going to engage in self-help. And here, we're going to show up. We are going to vandalize public property. We're going to cheer about it. And then we're going to get away with it. I mean, that's I don't think anybody, whether you're on the left or the right, should be applauding that type of behavior. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Roman in Gurney, Illinois. Roman, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Love your show. Thank you, sir. Um, Of course, there's a very heated topic, depending on which way you you go. But for people to start destroying history is is terrible. It's nothing but pure hatred. This would be equivalent to people in France taking down German war memorials, which, which exist in France from World War One, World War Two, and vice versa in Germany. It, it doesn't show uh, history. It just shows pure hatred. There's no other reason driving this. And there's also a thing I, I thought I heard a lot when I grew up was the rule of, of the law of the land. When, when is the government going to enforce people, whatever side, in these groups and demonstrations to, to obey? You have a right to meet and stuff, but just people to tear down a statue that is on public property without the proper going about the law i mean if they want to get a move go through some procedures stuff but to tear it down and for nothing to be done about it is absolutely ridiculous waste of history well well it it, it absolutely is and i get and it raises this question about it at what point in time do you get to vandalize public property and, and who gets who gets to make that decision okay we don't like this political statue so if somebody says there's a statue of abraham lincoln or there's whatever there, there's a statue of jfk or you name it there's a statue of ronald reagan we can go out and you can just tear that down you can destroy it and you can laugh because you say well i just didn't agree with him or i think this is a sign of racism or whatever who gets to make that decision exactly and when you let one group do it it empowers another group to do it on both sides and then it creates things like happen in chancellorville 
uh, 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 Charlottesville, and that's exactly what's going on. No, thanks for the call. I, I agree. No, I appreciate. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, let's see on our text line, Justin text now. So we're going to need to blast the Confederate soldiers off the face of Stone Mountain, like Mount Rushmore, east of Atlanta. The attempted perjuring of real American history and its figures needs to be stopped before future generations know nothing of our past as it truly was. Um, Penny from Germantown says, if you attempt to hide the sins of the past, you're doomed to repeat them in the future. And again, I don't even, I mean, this monument in Durham, right, this this wasn't to the cause. This wasn't a monument to slavery. This was a recognition of, of people from the area who lost their lives in the Civil War. Um, lots of people who probably, you know, weren't necessarily focused on the politics of this. I guess a lot of people who weren't slave owners, they just, all right, th- this was their cause. Was it a misguided cause? Yes. Were they traitors? Well, all right, we, we got past that with Reconstruction, and we kind of came together. But this idea that, oh, because they fought in the Civil War, they're not entitled to memorials either. I mean, really? I mean, just... And the fact that they're able to get away with destroying this property, apparently with the blessings of some of the authorities, that's what's even more appalling to me. Have a debate. Decide whether, all right, the monument should be there. Let the public figure out where the public is on this. Do you remove it or not? I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But at least have it part of the civil process. I don't want... I don't want groups like the Socialist Democratic, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Workers World Party and the Industrial Workers of the World that are, you know, the anarchist groups on the left deciding that they can go around and destroy property with impunity. It's 953. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1008. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. All right. I've made general references to my trip into work in in the past, but I just, I I want to, there there is an intersection. Here's one of the ways, there's different ways, I live in the North Shore, and there's different ways I can come to work. And it kind of depends on what I'm doing in the morning earlier. Um, One of the ways I get to work is I come through kind of like Glendale and Whitefish Bay down Lydell, which is a north-south city street that runs parallel to Port Washington Road. And one of the ways I get to work is I go down Lydell, I cross Hampton Avenue, um, and Lydell is just a little bit east of the freeway. So I cross Hampton Avenue, and then I go through Estabrook Park. And you pass the beer garden, take Estabrook Park, go through it, then you get to Capitol, you turn right, you're right here at our station. That's one of the ways I go. Um, Hampton, which is the east-west street, is a much busier street than Lydell. There are stoplights at the corners of Hampton, at the intersection of Hampton and Lydell. And the way that the lights are timed, and it makes sense because Hampton's a lot busier, so the, the green lights, if you're going down Hampton, stay on a lot longer than the green lights if you're crossing Hampton on Lydell. All right, that's fine. Um, I have, I've been taking this route for years, and one of the things that I have learned is if you are crossing Hampton on Lydell, When the light turns green, you cannot go. I understand. 
BD is looking at me, my producer. He's saying, well, what do you mean you can't go, Jeff? I mean, the, the light's green. No, no, no. If you go when the light turns green, you will be a traffic victim because nobody stops at the red lights on, on Hampton this morning. Honest to goodness story. I'm coming in. It's about 745. I'm going down Lydell. I'm heading south. I'm stopped at the red light. I'm first. I'm first. The light turns green, which would mean you should go. I know better than to do this, though. So first I look to my left. The light has turned green. I watch a car blow through the red light. Oh, accelerating, you know, probably doing 50 or 60 miles an hour because clearly they sped up to get through the red light. Okay, so they've run the red light. No, but you can't go yet because there's a car behind them who's going 50 or 60 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour that blows through the red light as well. All right, now those are the cars that are moving from the east to the west. All right, well, now I've watched two cars go through the red light there. You would think that you should be able to go through now because you've now had the green light for Lord knows how many seconds. No, I look forward. Uh Uh-uh, can't go through because there's a truck that has now gone through the red light going east, going from west to east. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if, if you hadn't have... If you hadn't have known to look and you hadn't have waited, not after just the light turns green, but one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, you know, you're you're it's going to be a really bad morning because you're going to get rammed into. And and this is not atypical. I just watched three cars, two cars and a truck blow through a red light, you know, during kind of rush hour because they're in a hurry to get where they are are going. And I know this is not an atypical experience. But I'm sitting there thinking, you know, at some point in time, somebody isn't going to know that at this particular intersection, red lights are just a suggestion. And somebody's going to go in there and they're going to get smashed in the side and they're going to end up, they're going to end up dead. Now, again, if you travel this on a regular basis, you realize this. Now, I understand that the police cannot be everywhere. I, I get it. And I'm not saying, although candidly, I don't know if that's Glendale or Whitefish, but I think it's Glendale. If you wanted to make a quota and generate a ton of revenue, all you need to do is put a squad car like halfway down the block, and you will, in the space of an hour on a busy morning, catch enough people that you don't have to write a ticket for the rest of the month. But I digress. I know there's probably a lot of other intersections that are like that. So rather than just you know cursing the darkness... I, I want to light a candle. I want to figure out what can you do about this? Because, again, it's not just the nuisance of, um, all right, now because these cars have run through the red light, the three cars behind me, they're not going to be able to get through this intersection because the light isn't timed long enough to let three or four cars go through if the first car has to sit and wait while the intersection clears. So, I mean, I, I, I understand that there's there's that that's going on. I also understand that you've got this busy intersection and you want to keep traffic moving. But at the same time, People, if you're going to take red lights as suggestions as opposed to, well, you better stop, I think there needs to be some, some changes. And I'm thinking, okay, what, what do we really need? And I have to tell you, it's taken me a long time to come to this, but I am more and more just convinced that we need to go to a, a system of red light cameras. 
And I, I understand there's been controversy with LED, red light cameras when they've been used in places like Chicago because what authorities have done is they kind of they, they monkeyed around with the yellow lights. Um, so people, they kind of lured people into running the red lights. But, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, but I drive a lot. And I am constantly amazed by the number of people who just blow through red lights. And I understand there's the bad, reckless drivers driving the stolen cars. But I'm talking about just everyday drivers who decide, here, you know, red light is a suggestion. We see a yellow light from halfway up the block, and that means we just floor it to go through. I think if you implemented a system of red light cameras, as long as you did it fairly, and you said, all right, we're going to be issuing tickets to folks, and... You know, you're going to have to pay. I think that would improve driving dramatically. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about red light cameras? There is a cost to them, but my guess is you would have that payback period pretty quickly. If you've ever seen the way these red light cameras work, well, I mean, they take photographs, and it's pretty apparent you know, they often, they get the license plate number. A lot of times they get the pictures of the people behind the wheel. Pretty tough to deny that you weren't driving. But, all right, I, I, something's got to be done. And I fully appreciate that you don't have enough police officers to sit and stake out every intersection where people go through like bats out of you-know-where. But I, I just, I watch this almost not. Two or three times a week when I'm driving down this route, there's almost not a day that goes by that I do not see this at this intersection. And I know if I'm seeing it at this intersection, you're seeing it at intersections as well. And we've we got to do something to bring it under control. Red light cameras, I'm all on board. 414-799-1620. Dave from West Bend won our tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot. We'll have more to give away as the week rolls on. I'm talking red light cameras now, and I know it's like, oh, gosh, that means more tickets, and that means it's Big Brother. Well, okay, I, I just, I, I, if people aren't, if people are going to drive like maniacs, well, yeah, there's not enough cops to catch you. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're back to discuss next. It's 1017. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our text line has exploded. Jeff, I agree with you on red light cameras. I travel to Chicago often and have been even caught once by the camera. Um, Lisa in Wind Lake says, I don't think this would be a deterrent for most red light runners. Most tickets would go unpaid anyways. It's the nature of the beast. Well, y- yes and yes and no. I mean, I, I understand there's some people who just like throw ta- traffic tickets away and don't think they have an obligation. But at the same time, there, there's a lot of people, um, there, there's a lot of people who actually do end up paying their tickets. Um, Dan writes, a private citizen could place a video camera at the intersection and post, post HD video, including license plates, date, and the time of the red light runners and social media, then attempt to shame the police into actually catching the red light runners. The, the problem is, I mean, I'm singling out this one intersection that I drive through three times a week and always see people blowing through. My guess is there are 50, 100, 200, 250, 300 intersections around here that you have the same result. Um, okay, I'm absolutely against red light cameras. People that drive with no regard to traffic signals usually have higher insurance and a huge list of violations on their record. Oh, okay, okay, that's that's 
one idea. But that doesn't mean you don't do anything. I mean, I understand the argument, well, gee, I blew through a red light. I'm not going to pay. I'm driving without a license, all those different types of things. And I understand that it's not a perfect solution. But to me, that at least catching and identifying the people that are doing it, uh, at least it's a starting point. Um, Jason Tex, please, please, please bring traffic red light cameras. There's an epidemic in the city of Milwaukee. All right, let's start with Zach in Milwaukee. Zach, you're first. Good morning. Hi there. Hi, Zach. What do you think? Uh, uh, well, I live and work on the north side, and specifically on 76th Street. And it's, I mean, obviously you see it constantly every day. But I think even more so than if you put up red light cameras on on uh, specific, you know, high volume intersections. If you had some type of at least semi mobile solution, uh, where the police are ready, they dump police cars at random points yeah. across the city to slow people down. Theoretically, that if you you know, didn't let people know exactly what, you know, where the, the mm-hmm. light cameras would be and you moved it around, then that would, you know, increase the uh, the chance of people not just slowing down at that specific intersection, but kind of all around the city. Yeah, I guess I'd, um, I, I would, t- I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, I, I, what I would do is I'm not, I would put them, I mean, I would make a commitment if I were king. I, I think these things are going to pay for themselves quickly. I would make a point of putting them all over, you know, at at, at high high traffic intersections. Because my guess is you're going to catch people blowing red lights on a regular basis. Like I say, I think there's some that are worse than others, and you know, the one I'm highlighting is a particularly bad one, at least in my opinion, based on my experience. But I'd put them up all over. My guess is they pay for themselves pretty darn quickly. And I also appreciate there's people who just ignore the tickets. That's a whole other topic. Don't get me started on that. 414-799-1620. Mary in Kenosha. Hi, Mary. You're at 620 WTMJ. Oh, hi, Josh. Hey. Um, no, as I was listening to you when you said that you jump on to Capitol right there to go to work. Well, I... I don't live there anymore. I just moved. Um, but I was living in River West on um, Chambers right across the street from Pumping Station. But I work in Tosa at 124th and Burleigh. Okay. So if you think of that stretch from Humboldt to 124th on Capitol, rather than jumping on the freeway, sometimes I would do the Capitol Drive. Oh, my God. That street is where they should be out there and giving tickets. Because I don't even know sometimes why I would drive it, because there's an accident on one of those corners all the time, daily, daily, because people just drive right on through and plow. It's, it's actually very scary. Oh, it I is. Many times it should be a reporter and be out there because of the things that you see. Oh, yeah, no, it, uh, Mary, you're, thanks for calling. No, you're, I mean, right, and again, I, I'm, 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 I'm not picking on, I'm, well, I'm, I'm pointing out this one intersection because I go through it several times a week, and I, I saw it this morning. Honest to God, a truck, two cars, blowing red lights. I mean, it just, and, all, all the red light meant is let's speed up to go through it faster. So when they slam into the side of your car, well, then we're going to make sure we're not just going to injure you, we're going to kill you. But that's kind of the response that ends up being out there. And look, and I, I, I look, I'm sympathetic. We're talking about, you know, and, well, this is actually Glendale, but it's right before the city of Milwaukee. But we're talking about, you know, the, the city of Milwaukee where the, the, the police, God knows, I understand they've got their problems, shots fired into a house, and it takes four hours to respond. That's why, I mean, I appreciate that there's not enough police police to be out there you know, chasing down these people. And I also understand that, you know, under Ed Flynn's dictates, somebody blows through a red light and then decides to flee from the cops at 95 miles an hour, you're not going to be able to chase them. Still, I do believe that at least for, I guess I'd like to think that the majority of people who are out there who are driving really, I don't know, are basically decent law-abiding people who 
you know, when when you get caught making the mistake, you're going to pull over, and then you're not going to want to lose your license. You're going to pay the tickets. And I understand there's a lot of people who don't. They don't care about that. They don't think the rules apply to them, and they're the victim if they're the ones that goes through the red light and get stopped. Nevertheless, I do think this would be a, a deterrent. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Um, I agree. I drive the south side um, all the time throughout the day. Um, back and forth, getting my kids from daycare, school, just taking the kids to sports, and constantly from 27th to 6th the National, um, all the way up to 60th the National, so people are blowing red lights all the time. I mean, even if there were cameras and something were to happen where they get a hit and run or something like that, they'd be on camera. Yeah, it, well, right, it, it, exactly. And you then know, then you, that's you, the point right. of Right. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I agree. And I guess, look, and I, I appreciate it's not going to stop all of this. I mean, there, there's Correct. no silver bullet. But to me, I think they'd probably pay for themselves pretty quickly and would certainly get people's attention if they knew, hey, if you decide that you're going to speed up to go through a yellow light, be careful. You know, you're, you're going to get that ticket in the mail. Then we'll see yep, what happens. I no, thank yep, I mean, I totally something agree. needs to I mean, I guess my point is something needs to be done. And I'm not willing to just stand here and just, you know, oh, like wring my hands and say, gosh, you know, we have all these people that are blowing through red lights and there's all these collisions that are going on. And sometimes people end up dead. Well, OK, maybe we need to start doing things that deter them. Um, let's see. I have a text here. I agree with you that Wisconsin should have red light cameras at some intersections. I live in Sheboygan and there have been numerous accidents caused by people running red lights resulting in fatalities since they speed up trying to beat the yellow that's my point um you know some lights have a delay before turning green which works california and arizona have cameras that really work since they have signs saying there is a 350 dollar penalty and again look i understand that there are some of the people that are doing this they're supposed to be driving with insurance they don't have insurance they're supposed to be driving with licenses they don't have that i i get all that but, you know, I think this is something we need to look at to at least try to get some people to think before their reaction to the yellow light is to hit the gas. It's 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. BD is producing the show today and always says, uh, that, I, I like the bumper music there. Got me chair dancing once again. It's not a pretty sight, but nevertheless, it's uh, we're, we're doing that. Um, he's been called Canada's greatest songwriter of all time, has presided some of the most iconic songs since the 1960s. Now Gordon Lightfoot is coming to Milwaukee, and we're sending you. Listen again tomorrow and all this week to my show for your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot at the Paps Theater on Sunday, September 17th. Don't call now. We gave away the tickets about a half hour ago for today, but more Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. All right, I want to... I want to do something a little bit different. Oh, first, let me just share just one final thought. And again, I apologize for bailing with full phone lines, but um, I, on the red light camera issue. But I, I was talking about this one particular location, and I was identifying it. And again, it's just like, hey, if you want to watch what's going on, just um, look out. I have an interesting text, Scott and Shorewood, Jeff. The location you were talking about, and this is like Lydell as it crosses Hampton right before Esterbrook Park. He says, from the perspective of your car, Whitefish Bay is on the left side of the road. Glendale is on the right. Milwaukee is straight ahead across Hampton. 
Who has jurisdiction? In the event of an accident, each department says, call the other. Therefore, this is unpatrolled, and drivers know that. <laughs> well, all right, that makes me feel really good. <laughs> that, that All right, maybe in that case, instead of waiting five or ten seconds before I cross when the light turns green, we'll, like, just maybe take a different route, kind of like the Wild West. All right, I want to do something completely different in this segment. Um, for the last couple of weeks, since they announced Foxconn was coming, I have been an unabashed cheerleader for the project. Um, and, and by the way, the, the Foxconn deal is is going to happen. Um, a Senate, an, an assembly panel yesterday um, voted to advance the incentive package. It's going to go to the full assembly. It's going to be voted on in the next couple of days. It's going to pass. And then it's going to go over to the state Senate, and it, it's going to pass. Now, there might be some tweaks here and there, but it, it, it's going to pass, and the governor's going to sign it. Interestingly, this this sen- this assembly panel that voted on this yesterday, not a single Democrat. This was the uh, assembly committee on jobs and the economy. Not a single Democrat voted for this. Not a single one, including. And so, I mean, I, I think it's going to be, you know, interesting as this moves forward because, in, in my opinion. Um, I mean, okay, maybe if you're a Democrat and you're no Claire, you you and you don't want to see the big picture, you can say, okay, well, who, who cares? But if you're a Democrat from Kenosha or Racine or from you know anywhere in Milwaukee County, particularly the city of Milwaukee where you have really high unemployment rates, and you vote against something that has the potential to bring thousands of jobs into your immediate area, to me. That, that should be grounds automatically for you to be tossed out of office at your next election. But nevertheless, this appears to be developing, again, like a partisan issue. Democrats, because it's Scott Walker voting against it, Republicans voting for it. All right, but I, I so I look, I freely acknowledge, laying my hands, cards on the table, I, I'm an unabashed cheerleader for this project. I think it is going to be transformative. And that's the way that we have approached this discussion over the last couple weeks since this story's been out here. I call this segment critic's choice. See, I I pride myself on recognizing that in a lot of issues there's not necessarily a right or wrong, there's a better or a worse. I and 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 maybe there there's two sides to stories and it's just, you know, you know reasonable people can disagree. I have to tell you, when it comes to this proposal and the opportunity to bring thousands and thousands of jobs to Wisconsin, I don't understand the, the opposition. I mean, I, I get this. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're potentially giving them $3 billion in tax incentives. Well, yeah, but they only get the tax incentives if they actually, like, like bring the jobs. And if, if you don't do that, well, okay, you don't give them the incentives and they don't come. You don't get the jobs and, you know, the, the vacant land stays vacant and, and we don't have the jobs that are here. Plus, you know, Foxconn. When they come in, as soon as you break ground and as soon as you build the facility, right? they're, they're talking about a $10 billion upfront investment in infrastructure, building the different facility. And those are jobs, and that's money, that is going to be largely going to Wisconsin contractors who are going to be doing the work. So to me, with all due respect, this is a complete and total no-brainer. But... But I want to change up the game. Here's what I, I want to do. 
I want to hear from the people that object to Foxconn. So if you're one of those people who have just been stewing over the course of the last couple of weeks over the fact that this deal has been announced and the deal is going to go through. I mean, like I say, there's there is. I just I'm kind of amazed that it's going to go through on a purely partisan vote. But if you're one of the people that think this is going to be a disaster, that oppose Foxconn, that hate the idea that we're doing this, I I want to hear why. I seriously want to hear why. So 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm calling the segment Critics' Choice. A lot of times when we have these segments, I, I hear overwhelmingly from people who think it is a good deal. But if you if you think this is being rammed through, if you think this is going to be bad for the state, I want to give you an opportunity to sound off. And I legitimately want to hear why it is that you oppose this deal. So 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are a critic of Foxconn, if you are an opponent of this deal, this is your chance. 414-799-1620. We're back to take calls in just a moment. It's 1042. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I want to do something different here because when we've talked about Foxconn in the past, I I will tell you 85 to 90 percent of the calls agree with me that Foxconn is a good deal. Um, It appears that there's a good chance that this Foxconn deal, it's going to go through. Like I say, it's it's going to happen. Um, And and history will decide whether it's a good deal or not. But it appears it's going to go through on on what could be close to a party-line vote, which is amazing to me. So I want to devote at least a segment to giving you, if you're a critic of Foxconn, I, I want to legitimately give you an opportunity to voice what your objection is. Okay, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Dave and Mequon. Dave, you're first. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, You're old enough to remember what picture tubes in TVs used to look like. In 1988, my wife and I moved out to Syracuse, New York. The company that made those picture tubes was General Electric. From Syracuse, New York, down through the Finger Lakes region, they had factories set up three and a half million square foot just to make picture tubes. Guess what? The technology changed. Today, 2017, those facilities are still empty, and New York is sitting with over three million square foot of empty buildings. Mm-hmm. You know very well how fast technology can change. I don't know what the next technology change could be for this, but what is Wisconsin going to do with the millions of square foot under roof? Well, why? why I guess my question is, why do you assume that Foxconn isn't going to uh, adapt? I mean, do you think they're just going to go out of business? I didn't say the company would go out of business. The technology can change yeah. and make that facility obsolete. Yeah, I mean, Foxconn has a history of abandoning facilities when technology changes. Mm-hmm. I guess, and, and I guess, but isn't isn't that a risk that you have in any given business that the technology is going to change or consumer demand is going to change? I mean, is that is that a reason to not 
And, and maybe it's going to happen in, in 10 years. Maybe it's going to happen in 25 years. Is that a reason not to, to go for jobs for the present? It is based on the scale of monetary investment here, in my opinion. Okay, good enough, fair enough. And, I, and that's what I asked for. I, I mean, I asked for opinion. I guess my, my response to that would be that the way the deal is structured, the, these are tax incentives that are payable over time based on based on Foxconn's hitting different goals. The infrastructure, now Foxconn's going to have to come in, and I understand they're going to have to, once they pick the site, you know, the, the community the communities will be building the infrastructure, the roads, the hooking up the sewer lines or whatever. But but the infrastructure, building the buildings, that $10 million is money, my understanding is, it's coming from Foxconn up front. Um, the, the incentives are tax incentives that they earn over time. And I guess I, I mean, yes, I, I understand. I mean, it's, to me, it's kind of like the blockbuster video argument. There was a period of time, and I'm old enough to remember, well, it wasn't really that long ago, where, I mean, the hottest thing in the world, if you owned a blockbuster video store, you were making a ton of, of money. Friday nights when the new VHS, yes, I said VHS tapes came out, um, you know, people would flock flock to the blockbuster videos well all right i mean i understand things have changed now i mean there's not vhs tapes anymore number one and, and number two i mean the way people get their movies nowadays is you know you, you download them you get them off of netflix or or whatever but but does that mean that gee you wouldn't have wanted to own a blockbuster video store for those 10 or 15 years that it was making money hand over fist I, i'm just asking 414-799-1620 okay what uh Opponents of Foxconn, your chance to um, sound off. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Mark in Milwaukee. Mark, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, what I, well, listen, I like the idea that we have this company coming, but I I don't think it's worth our tax-paying dollars to pay essentially corporate welfare. We're not going to see a return on our investment. From what the from a lot of people are saying and what I've read for about 25 years, there are too many things that can happen in that amount of time. Additionally, I also feel we have a legislature that still can't pass a budget. Uh, we have the zoo interchange that's in limbo, and so with those two major things, especially we still we, they still haven't balanced the budget, and they want to go ahead and essentially give and, and ram this down our throats. This legislature hasn't proven to us that they can manage our money wisely. Well, okay, I guess it's a couple of things. I mean, the you're going to have a a budget in the next thirty days or so. At least that's what I am being told. So right. let's say they do the budget. Um, okay. Okay. So so they do the budget. Then, then do they take up Foxconn, or are you just anti-Foxconn, period, because you think it's a waste of money? No, no, I didn't say that. I said I'm all for them coming here, and I'm all for a, a business coming here to create jobs. Mm-hmm. But at, at, the least, at the very least, 3,000 jobs, that's almost a million dollars per job. We're going to pay Foxconn to put, put our own people to work, and at the most, 13,000, which still comes down to about 225,000 per job. And again, we're not going to see a return on investment for 25 years. Oh, okay, I, I'm in business. Uh, I, I know how that works. Right. Okay, Mark. I guess I just this is all right. Here's part of the thing. First of all, we're first of all like the the 10 billion that I'm talking about. That's that's independent of incentives. That that's Foxconn building the infrastructure. That's like 
All right, the Bucks Arena going on downtown. Um, you know, the contractors are hired. They're building the arena. They're getting paid. So that that's money out there. This th- this idea of X amount of per job, it's not like it's, – it's tax incentives and it's deferred payments. It's not like – here, we're going to reach into the pockets of taxpayers and take $3 billion and give Foxconn a bag of money with $3 billion in it. That, that's not how it works. What, what this is, is it's tax incentives. So Foxconn comes here, they create the jobs, they don't have to, you know, pay X amount of taxes that they otherwise would have to pay. Now, th- there is some capital outlay, again, building the infrastructure, but if, if they don't come, we don't give them anything, but we don't get back back in return. I do think there's this idea that you know you're going to take this giant bag of money and give it to them. That that's not what this is. That's not what this is all about. But again, I I, I understand that that's a concern. If I was I I will tell you this. If I was a contractor, if I was one of the contractors, or if I represented any of these areas around here, I'd be jumping up and down because this is going to be providing, at least to build the facilities, it's going to be providing, you know, a, a huge, at least immediate boost, um, you know, uh, boost in the in a shot in the arm. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, Mark in New Berlin. Mark, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Right. I'm also like the last caller. I'm all for jobs. You know, the more the better. I love it. But I'm just worried about the way they treat their workers. I mean, I heard that there's suicide ledges and nets on on some of their buildings so people don't jump off. I mean, I can't even fathom that. I mean, we're not going to be like the 23-year-old girls you see on TV and their commercials sitting there. I mean, this is a Milwaukee. This is America. We, the people have problems in their life. There's drugs in people's life. There's heroin in people's life. Most people are going to get jobs there. I mean, everybody, it's, we're not going to be like those workers overseas. I mean, it's, it's impossible. So you think that because the way they operate their business and their plant in China, that means that you know the people that come to work for Foxconn here are going to be like inclined to kill themselves? I don't know why did they why were they inclined to kill themselves in China? Are they different people or do they have different uh, values out there? Or? Well, I mean, I think it it's, wasn't it's over the food in the cafeteria. So you think Foxconn? <laughs> well, okay, thank, thanks. For, I mean, I, I'm not sure I even how to respond to that. Um, I, you know, clearly, clearly, co- clearly, companies that operate in China or in India. Um, operate under different standards and, you know, there's different norms. And, and I don't know anything about that, the high incidence of suicide or things like that. You, you come to the United States and you start a plant in the United States, you're going to be covered by, you know, the labor laws. You're going to be covered by all the different health laws. And I guess I'm not comfort, I mean, I, maybe, but I mean, I'm, I don't know that you're going to see anything particular about the way that Foxconn operates in the United States. It's going to make it, I, I don't know, any better or any worse necessarily than other any large manufacturing facility other than the fact that they are, again, providing the jobs. All right, 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1054. It's 1109. This is Jeff Wagner. I, I, I am... This whole Foxconn deal, and I, again, I, I think reasonable people can disagree about stuff. I continue. I, I, this is one I don't get. 
and that this is one that doesn't strike me as being partisan. Um, and that's why I asked legitimately the question, you know, what are people's uh, objections? Um, Paul sends me a text. Most of the jobs pay 11 to $13 per hour, no union, and your job's gone. Well, uh, they, they, they won't be unionized. I think that's true. Um, I have to do the math. I actually, I think the jobs typically pay higher than that. The estimates are that the average, average and this isn't saying all the jobs, is going to be $53,000 a year plus benefits. And I don't know. I, I don't know that that's something to sneeze at. But even more importantly, that there will be lower paying jobs um, for people who don't necessarily have the skills that they can do what Foxconn needs them to do. So, I, I mean, I understand all that, but still they're – they're they're going to be they're going to be jobs. I guess I just it's tough for me to understand how you can turn up your nose at jobs. And I am getting a, a number of of texts, um, bringing up the point that I was bringing up that you can't say e- enough that this three billion dollar number that you throw see thrown around. Oh, it's corporate welfare. They're giving them three billion dollars. Well, we're not giving Foxconn three billion dollars. It's not like we're giving them cash. Here, here's cash. We're giving you this money up front. You come, you build the plant, and then if you leave, you know, you don't have to pay the money back. We're not giving them money up front. We're not giving them really money at all other than when they pick a site, we, we being the government, we being the taxpayers, you're going to build the infrastructure. You're going to build the roads. You're going to hook up the sewer lines. You're going to do the public services. What this $3 billion figure is, payable over time, it's tax credits. So, I mean, think about tax credits. How do tax credits work for you? You sit down at the end of the year to do your taxes. All right? And then, so you, you get, all right, this is the income you have. These are the credits I get. You get a, you, you get a, a credit for, um, you, you get a credit for, you know, whatever. You get a, you get a child credit you know th- those are credits you get that reduce the amount of taxes that, that you pay that's what we're talking about these are these are tax credits that the company will will get as an incentive if the company doesn't come here all right y- y- if they don't make any money if the company doesn't come here they, they don't get the credits so they're not they won't be paying as much as they otherwise would have to pay. But it's not like we're giving them a bag of money. Meanwhile, the company is going to be making its payroll. The company is going to be hiring people. The estimates are that, you know, the payroll is going to be $800 million a year. Um, you know, so those people are going to be, you know, paying taxes. Again, it's just it's, I think there's this misconception out there that we're taking money and we're giving it to them. No, we're not. We're giving them tax credits as an incentive to do business here. And to me, it's it's a huge difference. But we'll revisit Foxconn. I mean, the reality is it is going to happen. And I, I think, unfortunately, with all due respect to people who have some objections to it, I, I think this is another example where this is just, it's political. People realize we don't want to see Scott Walker, some people, we don't want to see Scott Walker get credit for this, blah 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 um, so we're going to oppose it. And again, I think it's going to be extremely unfortunate if Democrats who are in Racine and Kenosha and Milwaukee decide that they're going to be the obstructionists. To his credit, you know, Tom Barrett, Tom Barrett realizes what this could do for 
unemployment in the city of Milwaukee. And, you know, you haven't seen Barrett uh, leading the display. You, you haven't seen, you know, Barrett um, objecting to this a- at all. And I, I give him credit. Okay, I want to completely and totally switch gears. I, I don't mean to be the, hey, kids, get off my lawn guy. But every once in a while, you have these stories that make you wonder what really is going on. Because there, there's stories that you see. And I think back to... When I was a teenager back in the day, and, and this is this is not something that you would see happen. All right, here's the story. Channel Six had it. Um, a Milwaukee man says he was trying to prevent three teenagers from damaging a county park, and in the process, he ended up in the hospital. All right, the guy um, he lives he, he lives by Holler Park, which is down by the the airport. All right. Um, he said twice a day he walks his two dogs through Holler Park. He lives down there. He apparently has been involved in raising money for the, you know, to upgrade the park and things like that. Um, last Sunday, August 13th, he said that, you know, he, he's walking through the park and he sees these three teenagers who are skateboarding on a wooden walkway. So, I mean, what he says, 67 year old guy, he's walking his dog. Um, park borders on on his backyard he sees these he sees these kids that are skateboarding on this wooden walkway and he says hey um you know you can't you really shouldn't be skating there would you please stop because what you're doing is you're damaging this wooden walkway okay so now the kids have a number of different choices that they can make they can do what the guy says and and stop damaging the wooden walkway I guess they can make obscene gestures at him and continue doing that. But what they do is they punch him out. What he says, I mean, what he says, so he told them it's about 6 o'clock at night, so it's still broad daylight. They're skating across the deck service, surface, and he says, you, you know, you are going to damage this. He said, um, you know, then if, if you don't knock, knock this off, I mean, I'm going to take your photo and I'm going to report it to the police if there's damage. So what happens is apparently... One or more of the kids comes up and blindsides the guy. He said, I I didn't see anything come at me. I I was blindsided. It was just like a whack. Um, He says he was struck in the face with an object. Then all of a sudden, so he goes down on the ground. All of a sudden, he says the the three kids then come and they're kicking him and they're pummeling pummeling him. They're beating up this, this man. You know, who simply said, hey, don't skateboard on the walkway. He says that um, after the attack, the teens rode away. You know, he goes home. His wife takes him to the hospital. Now, thankfully, you know, he's not seriously injured, but he's at least taken to the hospital because he's beaten up by these three kids. What it turns out is he apparently has pictures of them, and it turns out at least the cops think that these are kids from from the neighborhood, from the neighborhood. So I'm I, again I'm I'm trying to picture. Now it was a while ago, but I'm trying to picture if okay when I was growing up in in Clovernook, that's the neighborhood I grew up in in Glendale. Trying to picture that if I was, I don't know. I grew up uh, a couple blocks away from Nicolay High School. So let's say that me and a couple of my buddies were. I, I don't know, um, knocking off ten or playing on our bikes or something, you know, in an area by Nicolay High School. And somebody walking by said, hey, 
you know, you guys, you're, you're going to damage the grass there. You're tearing up the grass. You should really move on. I am trying to imagine in what universe we would, after being corrected by the adult, by the man, somebody, one of my buddies would apparently come up from behind him, smash him in the face, and then three or four of us descend on him and start pummeling him. I mean, I just, that would not have happened. It just wouldn't have happened. And yet the story, the reason I bring this up is this this happens on a regular basis. This story is not unique. Okay, maybe the facts of this are a little bit unique, but here you have people in the neighborhood. The guy tells them, hey, you're going to damage this wooden walkway, and the reaction is, let's beat the crap out of him. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a broad question. It's not a yes or no one, but it's serious. What you know? Is there, what is going on here? Um, is there less respect for authority and adults nowadays? Is it the lack of parenting? Do the kids not care? Are there no consequences? Why is it that you have, and again, stories like this, this this is not, I think, necessarily atypical. What is it that is going on here where you have teenagers who feel that the proper response to being talked to by an adult is to beat the hell out of them? 414-799-1620. I have a couple theories, but I'm curious as to how you react. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1119. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1121, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, uh, Fox 6 had this story. Guy lives by Holler Park, which is right by General Mitchell Field, by the airport. And he's walking his dog through the park, and apparently the guy is, he's helped raise money to preserve it and things like that. There's this wooden walkway. Six o'clock Sunday night, he comes across a couple of kids, teenagers, presumably from, from a neighborhood, or skateboarding on this wooden walkway. He says, hey, guys, don't do that because it's going to scratch up the walkway. And the, the kids kind of ignore him. And he said, well, I'm going to take your pictures. And, you know, if there's damage, I'm, I'm going to the police. I'm going to tell them about this. The response is one of them apparently comes up and blindsides him, hits him with something. This is a 67-year-old man. Hits him with something in the face. He goes down. The other kids gather around. They pummel him. They beat this guy. They beat the guy. These are kids from the neighborhood. What's going on? We're joined by Milwaukee County Circuit Judge David Borowski. Judge, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well. What What's going on? What's your take well, on this? It, it, it's so frustrating. I, I started my career as you know in juvenile court over 10 years ago. And when you and I were growing up, which, of course, seems like millions of years ago, but in the 70s and 80s, I can't think of anyone that I know that would have considered this kind of behavior. Yep. Even, even the bad kids. I don't know anyone that would have gone to this extreme. He might have had, as you said, someone swear at him or yeah. give him the finger and then take off. But then when you, and it's of course different now with cell phones, but if someone thought that you're going to now be recorded or there are witnesses, the brazenness to be willing to beat someone up. Yeah, a 67-year-old man. Yeah. So 67 is not old for you or I, but yeah. for them, for a teenager, that's elderly, right? Right. Beat up a 67-year-old guy in broad daylight because he told you to stop skateboarding or roller skating on something. It's a testament, unfortunately, to how far gone we are in certain parts of this community. And it's all over in southeastern Wisconsin. And one thing I wanted to mention, Jeff, that 
I think we, not you and I necessarily, but we as a system collectively, the people in the media, people talk about this crossover at times when we talk about, well, what, what are the schools doing or what's the community doing or, or it, what are the parents doing? Mm-hmm. All three or four of these kids have parents yeah. that are raising them or, or grandparents or someone that's raising them. And think what message they're getting or not getting at home that they could even consider for a minute beating and stomping a 67-year-old gentleman who said, hey, stop roller skating or stop rollerblading on the wood area. Yeah, and, and, you know, Judge, you you make a really interesting point. I'm I'm just, again, I can't even fathom it. I can't even fathom doing this, number one, and then going home and having to confront you know, your mom, my mom, or my dad, you know, and explain, well, yes, he told me to stop riding my bike on, on whatever, and so Steve hit him in the head, and then I started banging on him. I mean, who? <laughs> it's just, you, you couldn't even imagine doing this, but yet this is the type of story we see on an almost a daily basis around here. Well, and unfortunately, I'm glad you mentioned it, and I did not see the Channel 6 story last night, but it happens on a daily basis, but because of some of the other things that unfortunately go on, I mean, today the headline in the paper was, Fortunately, they they found and arrested the people who allegedly shot Zalea Jenkins last night. Within the last month, we had a six-year-old shot and killed. We've been reduced to a situation where the newspaper, small as it is at times, covers shootings in a little yeah. two-paragraph blurb. Shootings. Homicides get three paragraphs. So kids that uh, beat the crap out of a 67-year-old gentleman doesn't get covered by anybody. No one bats an eyelash. When yeah. that, I, I venture to say, as recently as 15 to 20 years ago, in the 90s or early last decade, would have been on the front page yeah. of the newspaper. Right, you're right. It's it's the, the this this type of stuff is the and I, I don't want, I don't want us to sound like old fogies, but it, it's becoming like this new normal. We're almost oh, we're almost immune to this type of stuff. Yeah, this kind of happens all the time. Well, that's it is not a normal response. I don't care, judge, what anybody says. It's not normal. No, it's not normal, and we as a society, as parents, as adults, as community leaders, people in positions of authority, whether it's you on the radio or me in my position or the aldermen in that particular district, can't condone it and cannot allow it to be the new normal because it just becomes a slippery slope. When we get to the point where, oh, well, you know, some old guy, again, 67 is not old, but some old guy, oh, he got beat up, he got stomped because he was walking through a park, and he probably said relatively nicely the first time, hey, guys, why don't you not do that? Because that's how I would say it. That's how you would say it. Is, hey, guys, you really shouldn't be on that area, or you should really right. uh, go and skateboard on that side of the park, not on the wood that you could damage, right? I doubt, he, I doubt that there was any way other than polite terms that he addressed the situation and ends up being taken to the hospital or being right. beat up. Unbelievable. Right. Hey, uh, Judge, while I have you, I understand some reports are that you might be thinking of challenging Gwen Moore in the Democratic congressional primary next year. Any truth to that? Uh, there's truth to the fact that I'm considering it, yes. Okay. <laughs> Any timetable for when you make a decision? you got a little bit of time yet, I imagine. I, I have some time, right? The way I look at it is even people who are considering running for Senate still haven't yet announced. So if I was going to make that decision, I would say end of the year, early next year would probably be some kind of the time frame. Okay, fair enough. Well, keep me posted. I appreciate it. Thanks, Take care. That's uh, actually that's Milwaukee County Circuit Judge David Borowski, who has been um, he's one of these guys who I mean, and he's called into the program before who's been willing to um, call out the system and occasionally call out a couple of his colleagues um, in general sort of terms when you have these issues. He's also uh, mentioned as again, uh, he's a he's 
a self-described moderate Democrat who is apparently considering a, a challenge to Gwen Moore um, in the Democratic primary next year. And the reality is, if anybody's going to beat Gwen Moore, it's going to be in a Democratic primary. It is a very, very heavily Democratic uh, district. So the, the question is going to be, will somebody emerge to run against her? And will people decide, well, maybe, you know, if you look back on her tenure, she really hasn't accomplished much. Maybe we need somebody who maybe can actually get things done. It's 1128. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1136. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So BD has gone to his second job, Scott Worth. So, I, I mean, I see this thing with pizza. I, I was kidding around. I go over there. It's all gone. I mean, this thing, do we have vultures around here? I mean, there were like three or four big pizzas that the sales department sprung for. Thank you all very much. It's like all gone in 10 minutes. What are, we, are people taking like doggy bags and taking them home? That's huh. okay. I got my piece. All right. A um, couple things I want to do before we turn the show over to Scafidi and Billstat. I, I understand that there are some people who feel that President Trump can get no credit for anything. I, I understand that. I also understand that there's some people out there that his the latest poll that's out shows his approval rating around thirty four percent. And I get both sides. Some people will say, Oh, you can't believe the polls. Well, all right, thirty four percent that that's that's a problem. And the, the numbers continue to drop. I firmly believe, and I've argued this before that a lot of that disapproval rating it is style, not substance. Um, and there's no question that when you have this ongoing vendetta, and I believe the mainstream media, however you want to define that, has a vendetta against President Trump, when you have this ongoing vendetta, that is going to be wearing. When, you know, anytime you pick up a newspaper or turn on the TV, all the stories are going to be negative, and that's always the spin that's going to be had. Now, having said that, I, I also agree that President Trump brings a lot of that on, on himself. And if he'd stay away from some of the gratuitous attacks of people on Twitter and stuff, I think he'd be better off. But at the same time, sometimes I think you have to focus on credit where credit is due. For years, and it, it's, and it goes back to the administration of George Bush, and it played out through the administration of Barack Obama, the approach we took with regard to the crazy people in North Korea was generally one of appeasement. Let's let's not try to get them mad because these are crazy people. They're trying to develop nuclear weapons. Let's try to work behind the scenes. Let's quietly try to use diplomacy. And none of it worked. It, It just didn't work. Now, what's happened over the course of the last year or so, and it's surprised, I think, a lot of analysts, is that North Korea has gotten more advanced. They've been trying to develop these ballistic missiles. They can travel a long way. They've been trying to develop small nuclear warheads that they put on the on the tips of these missiles. And so now there's a question, can they threaten Guam? Can they threaten, you know, the... Can they threaten Hawaii? Can they threaten the West Coast of the United States? And one of the fair criticisms about U.S. intelligence is we didn't understand, I think, and the world didn't quite pick up how how far and how fast North Korea was progressing. Well, all right, since President Trump took over, there's been you know active outreach to China 
And China is really the, the main country that sort of props up North Korea. There's been active outreach to, try, to China to try to get China on board with economic sanctions. And, you know, uh, China did not veto a U.N. Security Council resolution imposing new sanctions on North Korea. At the same time, everybody knows last week this was the big story. You know, President Trump came out and said, you know, look, if, if North Korea threatens us, um, you know, we are going to respond with fire and fury like the world has never seen. And remember, this was the story last week about the hand wringing, about the, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. He's inflaming these type of things. Well, the story that the Wall Street Journal broke last night is North Korea, which had been threatening to send missiles um, and land missiles around Guam, has now apparently backed off that threat. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal story from last night, has decided not to launch a threatened missile attack on Guam. Um, He warned that he could change his mind if the Yankees persist in their extremely dangerous, reckless um, actions. So, I mean, he's backing down. Now, he's backing down with, again, the bravado that you would expect, you know, somebody like that to have. He's not saying, hey, I'm scared of Donald Trump, so I'm going to back down. But he is backing down. He is backing down, at least in the remarks he made. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Feel free to disagree with me. But I think some of the tough talk coming out of the Trump administration led to the decision publicly by North Korea to back down in its threats. There's nothing that has happened over the course of the last decade which has caused North Korea to do anything except become more and more, what would be the word, bellicose, more and more threatening. Well, Trump responds by saying, hey, look, you know, if you're going to menace us, be prepared to, you know, be prepared to have to deal with us. Now, I, I think there's a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, I think China starting to get on board with the U.N. resolution is a factor. But I think Trump talking tough is another factor that has caused North Korea to at least take a step back in its public dialogue. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did Trump have anything to do with this? And I think I think the answer is yes. Credit where credit is due. We discuss next. It's 1142. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1145. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I, I admit, I was a little bit surprised last night. I'm starting to do show research. Headline, Wall Street Journal says that the dictator in North Korea is now backing down says okay we're, we're not going to launch missiles at, at guam then again he's he's sort of threatening he says but but you know if those yankees continue their actions you know we'll reconsider but the truth is he blinked he blinked now part of it i think is because the u.n pressure on china but could part of it be, have been that for the first time in a long time you had a u.s president who decided that you know he wasn't going to take an action of appeasement and that he was going to call out North Korea in no uncertain terms. Let's start with Jason in Mequon. Jason, good morning. Morning, Jeff. Uh, Of course, President Trump should get all the uh, credit for uh, making that butterball back down and and negotiating a deal with China. 
to have them stop importing North Korea goods and stuff like that. And, you know, he's not using a dry erase marker to, you know, paint that red line anymore like <laughs> right. presidents in the past. You know, right. It's, right. it's in the ground. It's there. He means what he says and says what he means. So. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously something happened. Now, again, maybe... Maybe this was maybe it wasn't the you know fire and fury part. Maybe it was that we've got China on board and China's putting pressure on. But this is it's a different administration, and clearly, you know, people are recognizing that you know North Korea poses a threat. And whatever's happening, again, the guy backed out. There's no question about it. I think this goes back to President Trump's uh, negotiating abilities with those business deals and crap like that. He knows. You know how to you know work this stuff out. You know. Well, I mean, I I, I don't know. Now, I, mean, I got a text here. Jeff Trump's t- tough talk has made the U.S. a global laughing stock. Well, I I don't I don't know, but if I mean global laughing stock, who cares what they think in France? I mean, seriously, that, I guess the idea is, if 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 a practice of appeasement makes the world love us but doesn't discourage the dictator in North Korea from trying to develop nuclear weapons that he can launch at Guam or Hawaii. I, I, don't, I don't care if they like us in France. So if President Trump, by taking another approach, can in fact discourage the guy or cause him to back down or cause China to cause him to back down, I, I'm all in favor of it. I'll, I'll take being laughed at by the, the French if it promotes world security. Um, let's talk to Marty in Sheboygan. Marty, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, um, I think, you know, Republican or Democrat, um, doesn't matter who was in office before, I think they're, you know, North Korea is not going to take uh, any kind of threat seriously. I, I think with Trump here, you know, the old saying, the easiest way to catch a jewel thief is to hire a jewel thief. Well, <laughs> There's an old movie you know, like that, To Catch a Thief. I, I watched right. that the other night, yeah. You know, maybe, uh, you know, um, Kim Jong-un is a little crazy. Um, we could say President Trump's maybe a little crazy, too. You know, maybe they don't want to push that button and, and see exactly what he, you know, how far to... Well, I I'll fart a portion and see what he might do. Well, no, I think that I mean, I, Marty, I think there there is something to that because I think the truth of the matter is, you know, and Kim Jong Un has to understand that you get into a fight with the United States, you are going to lose. So, I mean, I think he he does what he does in a way to kind of again prop up his regime. Um, but I think even he knows there's lines you simply don't cross. And Donald Trump is, is I think, making it very clear that, you know, you, you got to back down. We're not going to be pushed around. And I think just, if nothing else, self-interest might be driving some of that. Right. And self-preservation and, you know, like yeah. I said, I, they just don't know that he wants to see what might happen because there's some, you know, some things that have gone on with, this president, good or bad, that uh, you know he's not afraid to do things differently. Well, well right, uh, I- including yeah, you just right exactly. You you just don't know. No, I, I think so, and I don't think there's anything. And again, I, I just it was interesting to me because last week, I mean, the story was okay. President Trump is talking tough. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to have us on the verge of of nuclear war. 
okay. And and again, I never, I mean, I, I said this last week, I, I didn't think that was going to, I never thought that that was going to happen one way or the other, if nothing else, again, because the dictator in North Korea knows you get into a shooting war with the United States and you're going to lose. Now, I'm not encouraging us to do that. I, and that's, I, I don't want to see that happen, but, but that's just, that is, that is just the reality. Yes, you, you've got a ballistic missile. Yes, you could cause some damage, but you're, you're going to end up losing. But nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see it. That's why you, you want to have cooler heads prevailing. And I, I think, if nothing else, again, maybe the fact that you have a president who's made it very, very clear that we're not going to get pushed around, maybe in terms that aren't particularly diplomatic, maybe in terms that shock a couple people, maybe that's one of the things that went and got attention. Now, I'm getting a couple emails here uh, texting, you know, China's given technology and materials to North Korea for, for decades to their benefit. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, I get it. That's the whole point. China has been propping up North Korea for decades. If North Korea loses the support of China, the regime in North Korea is in a lot of trouble. And one of the signs of that was a week or two ago when you had the U.N. Security Council that passed a resolution imposing new and more draconian sanctions on North Korea. And China, who sits on the Security Council, decided not to veto that. So the fact that China, and this is, to me, this is the answer to the problem that is North Korea all along. It's getting China, in particular, which props up North Korea. It's getting them to pressure North Korea to do away with its missile program or, or whatever. Because if China does that, then all the dominoes fall into place and the world is a safer spot. The dictator in North Korea, he's going to have to be pressured into it and he's going to want to save face. And like I say, when he backed off the threats to send missiles to Guam, you know, he, he did that by saying, well, I'm backing this off, but if the crazy Yankees do more, I reserve the right to do it. So he's doing it in a fashion that saves face. I get it. I understand all that. But the reality is the world, at least for today, Lord knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but today the world seems to be a bit of a safer place. And I think part of that is due perhaps to the fact that President Trump, whether it's working with China or whether it's his talk tough, a tough talk or whatever, President Trump has said, okay, there's going to be this line in the sand, and if you cross it, um, we really mean that we're not going to tolerate it. And bottom line is... I mean, we, we all want world peace. We, we do. We want to have these people, the, these rogue nations, the North Koreas of the world. What you want to do is you want to have them brought under control. And I don't care if we have to talk to them in a fashion they've never been talked to before. If that helps get the result achieved, I say, great.